Well, and I thank you, uh, besides getting a little dusty over there, uh, um, thank you for 20 years almost, but I thank you for a sabbatical. As I talk with youth pastors around, I think I've mentioned this before, most, most of them don't make it long enough to a sabbatical, to be honest. Uh, partly that's sometimes their fault, partly it isn't, but um, a lot of churches don't offer sabbatical to pastors. Uh, I think they're making a mistake. Having enjoyed my second one now uh, and being gone for two and a half months, thank you for giving us rest. Most of our staff has taken part in that, and those who haven't, it's approaching. And I think it makes a difference in a number of ways. And one example, even though it isn't a sabbatical moment, well, I guess it's related. That's partly why I'm up preaching today. It's things like Pastor Benji taking a break and doing announcements and me sitting there and going, okay, now I know what he wants for announcements because I've never really heard that. Um, I haven't heard him do announcements. I hop up, do announcements. I go hang out with the youth, and he preaches. And sometimes in church it's important for the primary person to take a seat and watch what else happens. I know I've been appreciative of our staff, uh, even if churches would offer a youth pastor a sabbatical, many of them look around and go, I can't take one anyway. My staff would not be able to um, hold down the fort that much, or more often wouldn't be comfortable. Um, so I thank you to my youth staff, who twice now have let me take off, really three times if you count uh, the Israel trip a couple years ago, take off and leave the reins in their hands and watch what happened happens, happened, and it was cool. My kids were attending our youth group while I was gone, so I was doing what Randy Georgie calls the stop, drop, and roll. Um, the car stops in the church parking lot. We drop them off, and we roll on out. Um, that's not something I'm used to doing at church, but thank you. Thank you, and after two and a half months of being away from home and my family at church, we are loving being back. It was difficult. Tip wasn't sure she was going to make it all of sabbatical without attending here. Like I said, our kids didn't even want to try, and they were really mad at us the one or two times that we made them go with us to a different place. But among other things, it included the last two and a half months, me for the very first time, I'm pretty sure in my entire life, not being at my home church on Easter Sunday. Those of you who don't know, I'm a pastor's kid. We don't take vacations on Easter Easter's kind of a big day in the church calendar. We don't usually get away at Christmas time. I've managed to get away at Thanksgiving because of where Tiff's mom lives in Tucson and logistics of that. But holidays, we tend to be around and then finding ways. I've driven down to L.A. many afternoons on Easter, and you have to make sure you're gassed up because there's not always a place to stop. It's gotten a lot easier with credit cards and the internet and other things that help those gas pumps. But it was weird to go to a different church on Sunday and not the one my dad worked at or the one that I have worked at and called home. That's a different experience for me. Here's some other things that we experienced. Not as a surprise, but a good reminder. God is working in many places and in many ways throughout Santa Maria and, of course, beyond. It was nice to go into churches that I have driven by but not seen, and bump into people that I know and love, either because they attended here, or I, I've got to know them through working in Santa Maria, but God is working in many churches. I'm glad you've chosen this one, but God is working in many places throughout Santa Maria. 
Some of the other experiences in those churches we had, we held hands with strangers, Tiffany and I, while singing a song we didn't know to close the service. That shocked me. I've never had that experience. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but right after the service, we stood up and everybody went into huddles of about 10 to 15, holy huddles, <laughs> held hands, and I've never heard that song in my life. But we're staring at people as we try to watermelon banana our way through a song, which is not very easy when you're within earshot and eyeshot. We pass the peace of Christ multiple times. If you've grown up in a Baptist church, you don't know what that means. If you've grown up in a higher church setting, you do know what that means. You might even miss that. It's kind of cool. And as a Baptist kid, it's a little different. We heard a children's sermon about St. Patrick and sharing the gospel. We had the preacher wearing a robe, full-on robe. When I told Benji that, he said, well, I'd be, I'd be down for a black robe, of course. Um, and I said, no, this, is, this was the white one with the red and the blue. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, it's that time of year. He knew what that meant. And if you don't, there are lots of church traditions where everything up here communicates a particular message. And the downside is you stop thinking about those messages. The upside is if you're paying attention, there's a neat picture at every moment. I prefer not wearing a robe, so please don't go there, Grace. But if you really want to, you can talk to the elders. It would not be very Baptist of us. We saw former students leading worship, which is both amazing and sometimes frustrating because that means they're not here. And I would love for all of my former students to be here. That might be a selfish thing. Um, sometimes it's I know, I know particular reasons that they're leaving, and I don't always like that. But I love that students from 15 years ago and five years ago and eventually from today are out serving God and serving other people and leading in worship still, whether it's up on our stage or if it's in a different building, even if it's in the same city. That's a win to me as a youth pastor that they are walking with God. And I know plenty of students that are not, and I think that's living out the parable of the sower, but that's a tough parable to watch lived out. We produced lots of slightly dejected faces of pastors would walk up to the new young couple, which stop and think about that statement for a while. Tiffany and I are the young couple. Um, we're not that young anymore, but many churches are not that young. And many of them aren't that big. And God still works through them. And that's wonderful. But it's always tough being a pastor to see him walk into you and be like, oh, this conversation is going to end on a sad note for you. Hi, what's your name? My name's James. I'm on sabbatical. I'm a youth pastor at a church in town. I'm so sorry. Um, that's, but they're excited. Somebody walked in and, and they're greeting people. Make sure, by the way, Grace, Grace that we are greeting people. Make sure that you don't just sit next to somebody and never talk to them. Whether they've attended the church forever or it's their first one, make sure you're greeting people. We also sat through a lot of, many people like this, the studies all say don't do this. I don't know what the right answer is, but there are a lot of meet and greet times. About 30 seconds of it as a visitor is great. Hi, how you doing? Thank you for the name. I'll never remember. I'm not that good at names. You won't remember mine. Maybe we'll see each other at Chick-fil-A. Wonderful. But some of them last for about five minutes, which is awkward if you're done greeting everybody and you're just standing there while they're all having conversations. Please don't do that at the end of the service. Welcome people. Invite them to your Sunday school class. Yes, talk to your friends too. 
but greet them. All the churches we visited, by the way, I enjoyed, and I'm glad that we went there. We are certainly glad to call Grace home each week. And I am glad there are good churches in town and that their people love them, but I honestly could not imagine attending any of them rather than grace as opposed to grace. And I think that's good too. I hope my fellow youth pastors in town feel the same way about their church. We also studied, I also studied, I also read while I was on sabbatical. I didn't just play hooky from church. Read, I prayed, I studied, and I chose for sabbatical the very lightweight and simple subject of LGBT youth ministry. You can be praying for that. It's not lightweight or simple, but it is present. It's present in our town. It's present in our culture. It's present in our world. As one of the books said, our students are dealing with these issues. We have to as well. We have to bring grace and truth to them. If you've heard me talk about it before or if you're on my staff, you've certainly heard me talk about it before. Never letting go of truth and never forgetting grace. Some of what I read was excellent. Some of it was thought-provoking. Some of it honestly was terrible. If you're looking for some books on the subject, I highly recommend Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. It's excellent. It's actually goes way beyond just LGBT. It discusses all kinds of current topics. And it gives a biblical and logical defense for the purpose and design of the body, the teleology of the body, particularly as it relates to birth, death, and sexuality. All three of those are things our culture is consumed by, even though it often lands on the wrong answer. If you aren't sure what to believe, regarding those things, or you know what you believe, but you have no idea why you actually believe that or why you should take a biblical view of abortion or euthanasia or monogamy or LGBT topics, you need to read that book. It's excellent. Every single part is excellent. I will say the chapters are very long. I hate long chapters in books. I love big books and I like short chapters because When you need to take a break, you need to take a break. And personally, I hate taking a break mid-chapter. Like, I have to finish. That's just me. I don't highlight in books. I don't dog your pages anymore. I've I've repented of that. Um, And I like to finish chapters. So I love the thousand-page Les Miserables. And I like having a short chapter so I can take a break whenever I need to. Or just keep flying through, and you're like, oh, knock down another chapter. I'm such a good reader. It's, yeah, a little bit of it is pride. But you need to know, it's a big, long chapter book, but it is worth reading. If you're looking for multiple positions on the issue of LGBT stuff in particular, and i got to look it up because I always butcher the title, Four Views of Pastoring LGBTQ Teenagers is challenging, but it is also good. And you won't agree with all of it. I just got to be honest. One way or the other. Because it's four different views. Even if you agree with a view, you won't agree with the other. The caution I would give with this, with this book is don't read it alone. You need to read it in the context of a Christian community that is solid on Scripture. Because there are four different views. And many of you may not care about the topic enough to read it. 
But if you are, please, again, don't read it alone and make sure you pay attention to the sermon today or just the prayer that, that was read by Scotty Smith, which is essentially my sermon today. It matters that you think correctly and carefully through these things. Most of the positions in that book, by the way, it's a practical book. It's not a theological one. They give no theological defense for where they're at on the issue. I actually don't like it because of that. I hope and would encourage them to come out with part two, the theological underpinnings for these. The most liberal position, however, did recommend another book. And honestly, it's one of the worst books I've ever read. I'm not going to show you a picture of it. I would encourage you not to read it. Some of you might need to. But I would encourage you not to. And it's not a bad book simply because I disagree with it at most multiple points, but because its hermeneutical approach is horrible. It's terrible. And it leads to statements like this, which I think is the most telling part about it. Quote, maybe some passages of the Bible just ought to be deleted or at least never read in public. End quote. I don't know how you deal with a biblical topic and have that attitude. It was a bad book. And the fact that it is the core of a particular theological position on the subject is terrifying. While it's certainly okay to recognize a, patch, a passage is difficult or a topic is confusing, it is never okay just to eliminate it or ignore it in the discussion. And that, as I was reading up on the subject, kept driving me back to our passage for, the t for today, 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4. And in fact, much of the discussion of LGBT issues in particular, but really many issues within the church, sometimes, by the way, on both sides of the discussion, reminds me of the need for our passage today. So we're going to stop talking about my sabbatical and we're even going to leave the particulars of LGBT ministry aside and just look at things generally at how we so often but really shouldn't handle difficult issues as we encounter them in life. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears... They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let me read it again. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's in the ESV. You heard me slip in the word doctrine. I think that's what the NIV says. When I memorized those verses in college, it was NIV. So if I butcher ESV, even reading it, give me grace. But picking that apart a little bit, the first part, the time is coming. It is very much here. Now, it's very possible Paul was talking tongue-in-cheek because Rome very much was there in some ways too. However, still connected to the Greeks in culture, Truth really mattered to them. They didn't always land on it, but they, they were very big on philosophical things and thinking it through. The Romans took it to a warring side, but Greece still affected them. 
One of the big things, though, is Paul's talking about inside the church, not primarily outside the church. So if you want to, he certainly means outside as well, but you could insert, insert those words in verse 3. For the time is coming within the church when people will not endure sound teaching. And if you look at Christian culture, we are there. We are very much in the moment Paul's talking about. The time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. We need to understand Paul is saying, Scripture is clear, that there is such a thing as right and wrong biblical and spiritual thought. And we need to pursue right thought. Right biblical worldviews. Really singular on that. The right biblical worldview. There is such a thing as absolute truth. And there is such a thing as timeless moral truth. Absolute, it's true for everyone and timeless. It's true for everyone always. Not just now, not just for me, not just from my perspective. It would look at the point in Star Wars where Obi-Wan is talking to Luke and say, you're wrong. I love the movie. That's not one of its highlights. You're wrong. It isn't from a certain point of view. Absolute, timeless, absolute truth ought to be from everyone's view. Now, that doesn't mean they'll agree with it, but it does mean they're wrong when they don't agree with it, when they reject it. So the time is coming, we're here, when people will not endure sound doctrine. By the way, I really shouldn't have to convince you, if you regularly attend Grace, that this is true, but even within the church, we're struggling with those concepts. That when Paul speaks and God is speaking through him, it applies to every Christian of all time and every person that's ever lived on the planet. If you look at our questions, please keep asking questions, by the way. If you look at even our questions, though, it tips our hand that we don't grasp that statement. That we struggle with it because we're affected by our culture. 1 Timothy 4.16 affirms it. Here's the NIV, ESV will pop on the screen. Watch your life and doctrine closely. It matters what you think and how you live in light of what you think. And we're called to watch it, to be careful. While others might not endure sound doctrine, we must. And here's what we so often do instead. An issue comes our way, and instead of looking at what God says... Sometimes convincing ourselves that that is the very thing we do. Instead, what we do is we go have our ears tickled. They itch. So we go find somebody who will ease that itch, even though it isn't where we need to go. Whenever we face an issue, here's what we typically do. We run to the people and resources that we know will affirm our position. You've done that your whole life. Think about how you interacted with your friends. We don't start with the phrase, tell me I'm right, but we go to the people that will tell us we're right. We do that often. Teens do that, talking about when you were a kid. Teens do that all the time when they're struggling with a parent, a teacher, or they're just having friend drama. We gather our group of friends together to tell us how unfair Mr. Shaw is being. Those of you who know Mr. Shaw, insert your teacher right now. I figured I could pick on Mr. Shaw. 
but he's, he's a close friend of mine, and he's not here today. He texted me yesterday. He's like, sorry, I'm not there. You won't get a doodle. I'm like, oh, okay. But we go find the friends in the class that are also struggling with the teacher and say, tell me that I'm right. Just don't tell me that they're right or we're not friends anymore, or at least I won't come to you for advice anymore. We go to our friends to tell us how dumb our mom is. Stop and think about that statement for a minute. You wouldn't exist without her. And you dare find friends that affirm that she's dumb. But that's what we do. My mom's so mean. I can't believe I got grounded when I stole the car. I can't believe you still exist. (laughs) But that's what we do. Or when our idiot former best friend is no longer our best friend, we go find our new best friend to tell us they're wrong. We certainly go, don't call best friend the person that would tell us we might have caused the problem. Before you think it's just a teenage problem, look at social media and in particular the Twitterverse. Pay attention to the groupthink and the confirmation bias that takes place on Twitter. If we're not fighting on social media, then we are blindly affirming other people on social media. And I don't think social media is a problem. We hate social media because it shows our sin. Social media is just a platform. I actually love it. How horrible to be able to keep in touch with everybody that you ever need to contact. What an awful invention. Sin is the issue. The fact that we can keep in touch with everybody we ever have known to offend them or misuse that relationship, that's the problem, not the platform. But just think of the number of times you've seen somebody talk about how they felt judged by somebody else, and everyone they know piles on and says, you're the best whatever that's ever lived. Sorry, the pause is because I was thinking about picking on moms, because that's how I've seen it first, but I don't want to go there. So I'm going to pick on youth pastors. Youth pastor has an issue with the church. They go on social media. If they're smart, they don't do this, by the way, because they get fired if they do. But they go on social media, and they're like, I can't believe this happened. So-and-so did something. Either my elders judged me, or the, the students said I don't know what I'm doing, or parents don't like me, or whatever, and you post it on social media, and everybody, whether they've ever seen your ministry before or not, just pops on and goes, you're the best youth pastor ever. What if you're the worst? What if you're average? By the way, I'm totally okay being average. Average is greatly underrated. Because the people that aren't average, they're the ones that always get in trouble. But, and no, I'm not okay being average either. Depends on what we mean by that. So have that discussion before you just write me off. But we go find people to tell us what we want. Yes, I know that you forgot that kid on the Navajo trip, but it's okay. You're the best youth pastor ever. It's never happened, by the way. And if you hear the students joking with me about losing Jesse, Jesse was right in front of me. Jesse's very tall. I don't know how I did not see Jesse, but I didn't. But I didn't leave Jesse. The kids are not telling the truth on that because I was not leaving until I saw Jesse. That was the whole point. But we do that. You're the best business ever. It doesn't matter that you're closing. Well, it might not matter that you're closing 
Or maybe you're not the best business and that's why you're closing. I don't know the particulars, but watch it this week in social media and you'll see people blindly affirming somebody else. I don't mean we shouldn't encourage each other, by the way. We absolutely should. Still, before you chalk it up to youthfulness or something only those you disagree with do, don't you keep running to the same news sources that tell you what you already know? If you're a fan of Fox News, there's a reason. If you're a fan of not Fox News, there's a reason. We keep going to the same news sources because they'll tell us exactly what we already think. And we like that. 2 Timothy 3, 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And by the way, it's not just an outside the church thing. Sadly, we do the same thing here. How many times have you heard something like this? I can't believe Pastor Benji said that. We say to the same family that we chew every single sermon he ever preaches apart at over lunch. This is how the church works. I can't believe Pastor Greg did this. We text the friend who was just complaining about what Pastor Greg did at a different point last week. Pastor James is a jerk, we whisper in the huddles of the parking lot after Sunday school. Paula Harder and Mrs. Winger, they don't even care about moms or kids, we tell the parents next to us on the playground. Let's leave the staff alone for a minute. They're always mean to me, whoever they are. We start our prayer request in Sunday school before complaining for 10 minutes about that very person. Because prayer in the church is usually gossip, and we all are always complaining about what somebody else did. Now certainly, by the way, Benji might have said that, Greg might have done that, you might have not liked how I handled something, or I might be a jerk. You're completely, you have completely, by the way, misunderstood our children's directors, I know that for a fact. And someone might have been mean to you at church, they're a sinner too. God doesn't tell us not to deal with those issues, God just says, be careful not to just run to the people that will affirm your thought. Don't just go to the places that will tell you what you want to hear and will confirm that your opinion is right instead of confronting you with biblical truth. Maybe you need to go talk to Pastor James. Maybe Greg didn't mean to offend you. He's a nice guy. I've worked with him for a long time. Maybe it's okay if Benji wears black all the time. It's all right. Okay, he likes it. I like blue. I, I, if you look at me, blue makes up my, my wardrobe most of the time. Brown is really a stretch for me. Not really, but the key is truth. Look at verse 4. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We need to pursue truth, not tickled ears. We need to pursue God's answers, no matter how inconvenient or unpopular we need to pursue right thought and action. By the way, far from blind faith, Christians ought to be the people in the world that have the most engaged brains in everything they do. Yes, 1 Corinthians 1 says God's wisdom will be treated as foolishness. No, that doesn't mean it's actually foolish. We need to have our minds engaged in our faith. We need to have scripture engaged 
in what we're doing all the time, all the time. 2 Corinthians 10.5, I stumbled onto that one earlier, says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That is the mental state that we're supposed to live in. A constant wrestling match that addresses worldviews and statements, thoughts, opinions from outside and from within. Not that you should be skeptical of everybody that ever steps up to this podium. But you ought to wrestle with what they say and make sure it fits scripture and every single one of us would encourage that. In contrast to looking for someone to tickle our itching ears, this is how we have to act, handle every issue and worldview challenge, every thought. We need to go to God. Not just your own wishes, not just your own friends, not just your favorite teacher or your tight-knit circle or family even. Go to God, go to Scripture, and then, by the way, after doing that first, and then go to the bride, the church, to make sure that you're not sitting in some obscure theological niche that isn't still telling you exactly what you want to hear. Because we do this in the church too. We have to go to God first and foremost. But that doesn't mean we never go to anybody else. We ought to go to the church community and say, okay, is this the first time any Christian has ever thought this? Because that's probably not good ground to be on. Even Martin Luther was not actually standing alone. He was simply alone in a particular room at the time. He was not alone in the world. Christians have been making that challenge for centuries, years, decades at least. Go to God and as you go to scripture, take every thought captive, engage your mind, but don't just find somebody to tickle your itching ears. That is never how Christians are supposed to tackle any subject. Let's pray. Lord, we praise your name. You are mighty and holy and you have spoken to us. How wonderful that is. You designed us with brains to think things through. You've given us a community to hold us accountable to what we say and think. But above all, you've given us your word. That this is who you are and this is truth. And this is what we are to think. Lord, help us to run to Scripture, to tackle everything, movies, media, friends, even our own thoughts, to tackle everything with your word, with your truth, with sound doctrine. Lord, we thank you for grace. Amen.